Father in heaven, we thank you. Uh, we give you thanks that you are uh, at work in our homes and in our families and in our church. Um, Lord, we thank you for the fellowship we have, and we ask that you would you would grow us, that you would teach us to uh, to understand rightly what your word says and how to think as your word tells us to think. Um, Lord, please guide us in our uh, in our lives, that our lives would show the fruit uh, of the gospel that you have given us. Please grow us, Lord. Please help us to apply these truths to our lives, and I pray that you would uh, bring fellowship and unity to our church, that you would lead us uh, and draw us closer together. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so uh, a little review. Um, we're talking about church and community. And so community is kind of a vague subject, right? It was kind of like, okay, what's a community? What does that even mean? And because we're talking about a specific kind of community, we're talking about a church community, uh, we laid a lot of foundational pieces. We laid a lot of um, what are the some of the foundational theological principles we need to know, such as what the church is, right? Before we talk about what we want the church to be and, and what where we need to go as a community, we first talk about what we're actually, what we actually are and uh, what that means. And so we, we talked about a lot of different things, um, including what the church is, how it's the, the gathering of all the elect from all the places and all the times. That's the church broadly. And then every local church is uh, the visible manifestation of that broad, you know, universal, invisible church. So there's the broad, invisible church, all the elect from all times and all places. And you have the visible church. You have the historical, visible manifestation of that body, right, of that broad body. And um, the, the visible church, the local church, is not perfect, right? There are wolves among the sheep. There are wheat. There's tares among the wheat. Uh, we're not complete yet. Right? We are not fully sanctified. We're not yet made perfect. God is still working on us. Right? If uh, we, we look at the image of the church as a, a building, um, Paul says that he is still building it up. Right? He's still constructing it. And so we're not done yet. Um, and so we've been looking at then what does it mean to be a covenant community? So the church is the body of Christ. It's, it's Christ's building, a temple. It's his bride. Um, but we are specifically a covenant community. And so we did some review of covenant theology. Um, specifically, we, we, we laid out a few principles last week that sort of form like here's the, here's the foundational theological covenantal stuff we got to know. And these principles are that there are only two covenant mediators. There are only two covenantal mediators, and you are represented by one of them. Not both of them, only one of them. So you are either in Adam, and you're dead, or you're in Christ, and you're alive. Right? Those are the only two options. There's only two covenantal mediators. You're either in Adam, and you're dead, or you're in Christ, and you're alive. So those are the only two options. And then the second principle we talked about last week was that covenants create communities. Covenants create communities. That's how they work. A covenant creates a community. It creates a fellowship of, of, of bonding together under the same covenant um, with the same goals, the same principles. Covenants create communities, and your identity is tied to your covenantal community. Your identity is tied to your covenant community, which means that if you're in Adam, right, that's your identity, and that affects your identity, and that's not something that you get to change. right? That means that um, as the, the, for the very fact that you're in Adam, your standing before God is guilty. Your sin nature, you have a sin nature because of your covenant mediator, because of who you come from. 
who you have fellowship with. That is part of your covenantal identity. Um, these are all covenantal realities. My standing before God, my sin nature, who I have fellowship with, right? Jesus talks about how the world and being in Christ, those don't mix. You can't have fellowship with God and friendship with the world at the same time. Why not? They're two different covenant communities and they don't mix. They're oil and water. You're either in Christ or you're in Adam. And so this means that if, if your identity is tied to your covenantal community, if you're in Christ, that is also your identity. Right? That also means that you're a righteous standing before God. You have a new nature that God has given you. Who you have fellowship with is affected by who, what covenant community you're in. So these, these principles teach us that um, we are to think in these covenantal terms. And Scripture teaches us to think in these terms. I remember last week we talked about um, two different, I don't know how to call it, aberrations, I guess, two, two different worldviews of the world of how to view people and society and humans um, and, convert, and how that uh, compared to Scripture. Right. So last week we talked about how the world usually, there's kind of a, a sliding scale, it's either individualism or collectivism. So how does individualism think? How does individualism think? What is, what is individualism? What is it? We talked about it last week. What is it and how does it teach us to think about ourselves and about others? What do you think? world revolves around me and what I, um, my goals in life are to be uh, myself, self-actualized, to, to get whatever I need out of the world. All right. Yeah. 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 The, the world revolves around the individual, which means it revolves around me, which means my goals, my desires are the foundation for what I do. Right? If I want to, if I, if I look at my life, why am I going to choose the things I choose? Why am I going to think the things I think? Because I'm pursuing me, right? And I'm the number one in an individualistic society. Uh, and so individualism sees us as humans as just a bunch of different marbles, right? And we're all kind of lumped into the same box. Um, but individualism means that we are all individuals. It emphasizes our distinctiveness, our uniqueness. But it says that's the foundation, right? That's, that's the heart of society is the individual. So what is, what's at the heart of society in collectivism? What drives our goals and our desires and our choices in collectivism? If it's not the individual, what is it? Yeah. Yeah, the collective, right? What's what's good for all society, Brittany? Which is in the preservation of that, but mm -hmm. so that it can continue on indefinitely. Yeah. Preservation of the Yeah, preservation of of the collective. Yeah. At whose expense? The individual. Yeah. <laughs> right? The in individualism, it's my priorities, I'm gonna preserve myself, and that's the highest good. Right? That's what the, that's the highest good is what makes me happy. 
in collectivism, the highest good is what's good for the collective, right? So you look at Soviet, Soviet Russia um, and how much the people suffered because they were oppressed and because they, it's just, no, you need to do this for your, your, your motherland, right? You are a comrade, which means you're part of a whole, which means your obligation is to this big collective. That's your obligation. That's your highest good, even at your, the expense of your own freedoms, the expense of eating, right? That, that's secondary to actually what's good for the whole, for the collective, so to speak. Um, so individualism, right? It's me. I'm the highest good, even at the expense of others. Collectivism is the, the collective is the highest good at the expense of others. So how does scripture, how does covenantal thinking, how is it similar to individualism or collectivism? And how is it different? How, does, how is covenantal thinking different or similar than these two philosophies? In other words, is there any kernels of truth in here? Brittany? Yeah. Yeah. In a, in a way, covenantal thinking, you know, best of both worlds is if it's a Venn diagram, you have individualism, collectivism, scriptures in the middle. You could kind of think of it like that. Um, the church, the covenantal thinking does things a little bit differently than even that, though. It's not just well, let's, let's take the good of these philosophies and leave the bad, and that's the Bible. I don't think that's quite what it is. I think it's rather the Bible is what's true, and individualism and collectivism take bits from the Bible and then twist it and distort it to make their own version of it. Right? This, they take little bits of truth from what's true, from the Bible, from Scripture, from God, and then they twist it for man's ends. Right? Individualism says, God created us all unique. Right? We're all individuals. That means that the highest good is the individual. Collectivism says, no, God, God created us as a whole. And so we need to pursue the whole. That's the good. And even if that means you don't have any food for a few years. Um, covenantal thinking pushes us and says and teaches us to think about ourselves as a part of a whole, but not just, you know, human society, not just some amorphous, or all the, all the humans in the world are part of this global body. Um, instead, scripture says that the church is a body, which means there's distinct parts, but there's one body. So we're not the same, in other words. Collectivism wants to put everyone at the same level, right? We're all the same. We all look, look alike, talk alike, think alike. You have to in order for there to be unity in this collective, right? If there's any such thing as, as double think, that can't be allowed to happen, right? Because that threatens the unity of the collective. That's not allowed. Um, conversely, that's not what the Bible teaches us at all. The Bible doesn't teach us that we're to be uniform, that we're to be the same. We're distinct parts. Um, the body has eyes and, and legs and knees and toes and sh shoulders and heads and all these parts. And yet it's one body. And the church is a building, right? Each, each brick is distinct and unique. And yet 
you fit together perfectly, right? It, it shows us that we are distinct, that we're, we have individualism, we have differences, and yet we fit together perfectly. And we're bound together, not by pursuing the highest good of the collective, not by pursuing my own highest good of the individualism, but pursuing what does, pursuing God and serving the Lord. Uh, and what binds us together is the covenant. Right? The mortar that binds each brick together in the building, the bones that hold the body upright, that's the covenant. So we're not just mashed you know, into one big human blob, uh, but neither is the covenant just a, a box to hold all the different marbles in. Um, in other words, we're all connected. We're all united in a way that transcends our individuality. But that doesn't result in uniformity. We have unity in that uniformity. We have unity and not individualism. So I want to take some time today to talk about unity and what that means a little bit, especially as compared to individualism. Um, and then we'll talk maybe and maybe next week or the week after or something like that. Depends on how we go today. We'll talk then about um, unity versus this idea of collectivism. Uh, but today, I just want to talk a little bit about uh, our unity, what that means, especially as compared to individualism. So in Scripture and as Christians, where does our unity come from? What's the source of our unity? Our identity in Christ. Right, that covenantal community, right? That's your identity. That's your unity. So um, can you think of any, any passages that talk about our unity, especially as it regards to being unified in Christ? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because there's one bread. We who are many are one body for all partake of the one bread. Yeah, absolutely. The one bread being Christ. Any other passages that jump to mind? Which says, Yeah, Christ has made us one and reconciled us to the Father and to each other through his flesh, right, through his death. Charlie? Pretty much all the opening of Ephesians, Ephesians 1, all the in Yeah, just all of Ephesians. Jesus Christ has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. I love you for destined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 7, in him we have redemption. Uh, verse 11, in him we have attained inheritance. Yeah. In other words, if you want to be saved, you have to somehow be connected to Christ. You have to be in him. Right? We talked about this with when we talked about covenantal mediatorship. Um, because how many parties are there in the covenant of grace? Charlie's told him up too, and he's correct. There's two parties in the covenant of grace. God the Father, 
and Jesus Christ. And all the elect are in him, right? Because he's the mediator. He's the covenantal head. That means that if you're in him, whatever he does, you receive. Whatever he gets, you receive as well. Whatever he does, you do. Um, if a covenantal mediator succeeds, you succeed. If he fails, you fail, right? There's two covenants. You're in Adam and you're dead because Adam failed, or you're in Christ and you're alive because Christ succeeded because he's the covenantal head. He's a mediator. That means you're in Christ. That means it's not, I'm going to do my part. I'm, I'm going to do my part. And Jesus kind of helps me get there, right? Jesus is in the middle and he's kind of, you know, mediating in sort of the worldly sense of like, he's a neutral third party who stands in the middle and brings compromise. And I'm going to do my best. And Jesus kind of helps me to get there, right? No, Jesus does everything and you are along for the ride. And that's it. Um, so in Christ, or Colossians 2.12, uh, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You're buried with him in baptism. Right? In baptism, you are united to his death, and you're raised with him. That's covenantal mediator, right? If he's raised, you're raised. If he dies, you die. And that's a good thing. Uh, in Romans 6, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death because we are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Okay, if you're united to Christ, what Christ does, you do. If he dies, you die. If he's raised, you're raised. That's covenantal language. That's covenantal mediatorship. That means that you're united to Jesus. And that's binding. That means you can't break that. That means it's not in your works. It means you don't do your part. It means you're not the member of the covenant of grace. You're in it because of Christ. But Christ does everything. And because we're united to Christ, we are therefore united to each other. 1 Corinthians 12, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. For if one member suffers, we all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Right? We're distinct. We're individual members, and yet we're united to the body so that whatever happens to the body happens to me. If one part of the body suffers, that's me. I'm suffering. If one part of the body is, is honored, that's me. I'm honored. I'm rejoicing, right? Because I'm united to it through Christ, because Christ's the head. So we're united. That's where our unity comes from. It comes from being united in Christ, uh, bound to him in, in this covenant that we cannot break or lose or do anything about, right? If God decides to save you, you can't do anything about that. Praise God. Um, now let's turn to compare this a little bit with, individ with individualism. So what does individualism do to a church? Or to ask it another way, what unites people when the philosophy is individualism? What unites people? What's the, the source, the basis of their unity in a church that is, that is ruled by individualism? Okay, common cause. Yeah. 
What else? Maybe common tastes and preferences. Yeah, common tastes and preferences. Absolutely. Convenience. Yeah. This church meets at a time I like, and it's close by. What happens to people? What's the, what happens to the relationships in the church? Right, if the individual is the highest good, what happens to relationships? Shallow. What's that? Shallow. Shell? Shallow. Shallow, sorry, yeah, shallow. Yeah, because what's, what's uniting is, okay, we like the same music. Now, G? It's still me-oriented because if the individual dislikes something about the individualistic church, they will separate from it yeah. and go to find something that's more pleasing to me. Yeah, exactly. Because it's all about me, if I go to a church and, and I discover something I don't like, what am I going to do? I'm going to go find a different one. And so this is why so many churches adopt, it's called the seeker sensitive, but it really just means we're trying to attract people with flashy stuff, right? It's why we have a, they have a band and smoke machines and it's big and there's all this, it's like a party, right? Because they're trying to bring people in and make them happy. They're appealing to the individual. They're saying they're not going to come here if we don't make it fun to be here, if we don't make it nice for them, right? What's, what's ruling that church? What's the, what's the highest good? It's the individual. And yeah, what unites these people, what unites us people when we are following this philosophy of individualism, when we are, whether we realize it or not, putting ourselves at the center of the universe. This is what matters is me. Um, what unites us is not Christ, right? It's, it's other things. Um, you know, common interests are not necessarily bad things. It's not necessarily a bad thing to have common interests, right? But what, what makes it, starts to twist it is when that's what unites us, right? Some churches are united by their shared love for worship music, right? Is worship music bad? No. Is it bad to like it and also everyone else likes it? No. Is it bad when that's your unity? Yeah. Some churches, I got to be careful here. Some churches are united by their love for reformed theology and the love for reformed liturgy. That's what unites them. Right, is that is reformed theology bad? No, it's good. Is reformed liturgy bad? No, it's good. Is it good to like those things, to appreciate those things, to join together in some of these things? Yes. However, when that's your unity, that's bad. Those are not what unite us. Sometimes, you know, these these common interests are actually pretty clear. You can see that, well, not only is it, yeah, yeah, we can see clearly why that's bad, right? It's bad to be united because you like the pastor's teaching. You like the pastor's preaching. That's not a good reason. And we all know why. It's because as soon as the pastor leaves, you'll leave, right? Or as soon as the pastor starts to change his message, or he says something that you don't like, or he preaches a sermon that makes you uncomfortable, what are you going to do? 
I'm going to go find someone now. Or you'll stay, but your heart will not be there, right? And instead, you, your heart will be somewhere else. Sometimes churches are united by a shared hatred, right? Uh, the common cause is that we all hate blank um, or something outside of the congregation, right? That's, that sometimes that can unite, and we can clearly see, right, that's not good. We know that leads to division. Sometimes churches are united because they all look and talk the same, right? We know that's bad. We know that leads to division. But these other things, right, Reformed theology, liturgy, even the music, um, and to some extent, maybe even the pastor's preaching, we, these are good things. And yet when we, they are the basis for our unity and why we're here, when we treat them like that, it will lead to division. Right? Why, why is this so bad? Why is a common interest a bad thing to base our unity on, even if it might be a good thing? Why is that bad? Why is it bad to be united by a common interest, even if that interest is good? Matthew? Well, we were created to be blessed by God. Anything, um, we, might have, we might share uh, an opinion about how best to do that, or we might disagree about how best to do that. But if we're focused instead on those things and not on glorifying God, um, then we step off. And I, I agree with you that we, we don't want to come here just because we like the pastor preaching. Um, but at the same time, we would... You would know, want to hold the pastor's feet to the fire, so to speak, um, by making sure that he's preaching the word, making sure that he's for So those are things that we can pay attention to and agree on. Um, but ultimately, God's glory is, is why we're here, mm -hmm. not because you know, any other external reason. Yeah. Even if it's supposedly in service to God's glory. Yeah. Hey, Charlie? I think I might have given you a lot of what Max was saying, but. In a sense, not to just like get everything back, is that our com the common interest isn't the issue, it's the substance of the common interest. We are here because we've been called out from death to life. The common interest is not going to derive from us, but it's given to us by God in the covenant. So our common interest is to pursue God's glory and to pursue righteousness in the time between the islands, right? So it's the substance of the common interest that needs to be evaluated. <laughs> In a sense. Um, like it was, like, we're not here because we don't have a common interest. We all do. We all want to love the Lord. Right. All our hearts, all mind, and being. Absolutely. And be in the covenant community in the way that He told us to be in it. So there's a, that's the common interest that has okay. to be there. It's alien to us. It's received. It's not derived. So maybe that's where the, the nuance needs to be. Well, let me say it this way. Okay. I, okay, I, I think I, I hear what you're saying. Right? It's not that we don't have a common interest. But is the common interest the basis for our unity, or is it a result of our unity? Is it the illness or the symptom? That's maybe not the best way to put it. Is it, is it why we're here? Are we all here today because we love Jesus? Or do we all love Jesus because Jesus loved us and he's brought us here? What does right? it mean logically? It has to start with the love that comes down. Yeah, it has to start. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the common interest is Christ's love for us. It's not ours. So right. Again, it matters the, the substance of the common interest. My, my point is, what happens when I don't like it anymore? What happens if I go off into sin, right, and I, and I don't love Jesus, and I'm not loving Jesus in my life? What happens if I stop liking the pastor's preaching? What happens if I start to, I start to question Reformed theology? Do I stop being unified? 
No. Because the unity is actually something greater and deeper and stronger and in Christ and not anything in me. Those other things, I think, are, are, are will come when we are focused on the Lord and we're actually focused on what does unify us, when that's what we're holding instead of holding me at the center, right? Individualism says it's about me. That means that if I feel something, if I'm starting to feel uncomfortable at this sermon, that means bad, bad preacher, right? That means something's wrong in him, not something's wrong in me. And I need to fix that. I need to go somewhere else or, or not listen, right? Block my ears. Um, because it's about me. What's at the center of the universe? Well, it's me. That's not what unifies us. We're not unified by our Reformed theology. Reformed theology is a beautiful thing and a good thing. And we certainly, okay, Um, we certainly strive to understand what is true. But maybe I should put it a little bit different. We're not unified by any system of doctrine. We're unified by God through his word. And this is our standard. Right? The standard is not what I think. The standard is, what does God's word say? And that's what we hold. Right? That's how we evaluate a preacher is not, did he make me feel good or not? Did I think he was right or not? But what does the Bible say? And we're all going to submit to this as our standard and not me. I know individualism, the standard, the highest good, the arbiter of truth is me. The Bible says the arbiter of truth is God through his word. That's what we hold as our standard, right? Pharisees knew their Bible is probably better than us. Yeah, that's it shows that it's not real unity. It's it's a fragile facade. It puts me at the center. That's not what unifies us. So, you know, the question is, what then truly unites us? Well, it's not. It's it's what brought us here is the love of Christ. And how do we evaluate then everything? Do we evaluate by what's good for the individual? what's good for the collective, 
Now we evaluate by what does God's word say? This is our this is our standard. This is where we go when we're like, I don't know what to think. Teach me what to think, Lord. I don't know what to feel. Teach me what to feel. I don't know how to act. Teach me how to act. Uh, the Bible is what we go to. And that's when we actually, that, that's what brings us together and actually starts to unify us is when we hold God's word higher than we hold anything else. When we hold God's word higher than our system of theology. When we hold God's word higher than my own desires. When we hold God's word higher than what I feel. When we hold God's word higher than even my own desire for community. When we surrender how we think. When we surrender how we feel. When we surrender to the Lord's word and to him. That's what unites us. And that's when true community happens. That's when true community happens. So where does this unity and community begin? In other words, where should we begin if we truly want to have this biblical covenantal community? Where should we begin practicing what this looks like, this commitment to God's word, this unity that transcends my individual preferences, my, even my desires, my fears? Where should we begin? Where should you begin? in my own heart and I think that's flows into then our, our closest community which is our families begin with your own family if, if my own family is not united by God's word and the love of Christ if, if the, the flavor of my family culture at home is not the gospel then why should I expect my church to be any different? Family culture overflows into church culture. So if your family is ruled by individualism and is marked by a worldly sort of human love, that will spill into the church. Right? If your family is ruled by feelings and desires and thinking about things rightly and the system of doctrine instead of the word of God, that will spill into the church. In other words, if we talk about at church how we're supposed to be united by Jesus' love, how we're supposed to hold the Bible above all things, to love and serve each other, to, to pursue this true unity, we can't talk about it here at church and then go home and practice something else. So if you want Reformation to have true community, if you want us to grow in community, in true fellowship, and true community, start at your home. Start with your family. Michelle, you. I'm having trouble because that smacks of individualism to me. I, I hear what you're saying. Submit your heart to the word. Submit your family to gospel. Could we, could we add, I was going to say, start at the worship service and submit that to the word. Because... I just I'm having a hard time. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's totally fine. Yourself, but it's not about you. Bring any clarification. That's fine. No. Some blurs too with what you said. We're just kind of along for the ride. Mm -hmm. so maybe you clarify that. Okay. Sure. Um, and if what unites us is that we're in Christ, right? That's what 
That's what we're driving towards. And when things like individualism creep into our hearts and our families, that will creep into our church as well. So my point is, if we're trying to pursue this true unity, where we start is, you look in the mirror, say, where do I, am I not in submission to Christ? And you look at your family and you say, where is my family not in submission to Christ? Are we ruled by individualism? What's our family culture like? You know, what's the flavor of it? Are we defined by the gospel? And if the answer is no, that needs to start, that needs to be fixed first. I'm not saying that it's in your hands. I'm not saying that you only have unity once you get your act together. That's not what I mean. I mean, when, when we're pursuing this, when we're trying to root out individualism, when we're trying to root out uh, these, these, these things that divide us, these things that we think unify us, but actually don't, right? these common interests, trying to root these out, we need to start with ourselves. We need to start with our families. And that will flow into the church. When we're all doing that together, that will flow into the church. I'm saying that's the starting point. I'm not saying that's all you do. I'm not saying that as a church, if you all just got your act together as families, then we'd be a better church. No, because you look at all of our families. We're all broken. We're all sinners. None of us is doing it right. That's what the gospel's about. We're sinners. Let's go to the gospel. Charlie, you've had your hand up and you're looking anxious. Yeah, I, I just need to ask a question. It, it's, the church is a household made up of households. Right? And, and so the parts relate to the whole, the whole relates to the parts. So the community in the whole is struggling. It's good to survey the parts, what the household's doing. Because as you're saying, the, the conduct that goes on within our homes inevitably bleeds over into the rest of the larger household and so it's good to um it's good to evaluate those things because it's easy to hide behind doing community well in the larger body the community in our household is struggling which is what i think you're saying right? mm -hmm. um, and though it's not doesn't it, it it might sound of uh, individualism or smack of it but what it what it's saying is that there's such a synergistic relationship between the parts and the whole that you know, Joshua wasn't in the wrong for saying, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Right? This is what us as, a, as an economy, as a small church, will take curve within the bigger curve. Um, it's important that we maintain godliness, love, hope, faith here, and that inevitably pours over and blesses the greater, the greater body. Yeah. Because we're as families, we're, we're policing ourselves according to the covenant. Michelle? I agree. I agree with you, Charlie. Can we can we agree to not elevate the family above the community of the body? This body. I guess maybe I'm just coming from a different headspace right now. Okay. You're helping. You're both helping. Thank yeah, you. I'm not saying the family takes priority or precedence over the church body, but I'm saying. I appreciate what Charlie said, that we are parts of a body. We're parts of a whole. And that means that our families are parts of a whole. And if my family, my little part here, is suffering, that's going to affect the whole body. That's going to affect the whole body. Paul says, if one member suffers, we all suffer. If one part's dysfunctional, it affects all of us. So where do we start when we want to see more unity in our body, when we want to see our body healthier? Where we can start is we look to our own hearts, our own families, and say, where are we going wrong? 
and we submit that to Christ. And, and that doesn't mean it's automatic. That doesn't mean it's like this is on you and you need to figure it out. No, because what we're doing is we're saying, what defines us? Is it, is it individualism and what I think, or is, what, is it the gospel? Do I believe the gospel? Does my family believe the gospel? My family ruled by the gospel. That's where we go. Does that, does that help? Okay. Are there any other questions or, or clarifications? I'm happy to keep talking about it. I know I, I appreciate the clarifications. I appreciate the questions. I want to be clear. Any other concerns? You can talk to me afterwards too. You can email me, you can text me, leave me an angry voicemail. I don't mind. Okay, um, thank you all. Uh, yeah, please, if you have any more questions or clarifications, I'm happy to talk. Um, but while we prepare to get ready for worship, let's pray and ask God to, to prepare us. Fathers, we come before you. We thank you that you've given us your word and that we get to hold it above all things and have, uh, have peace, that we are holding to what is true and not just to what we think. God, we thank you that we get to come together as one body, that we are united not by our common love, not because we're all doing it right, not because we're all holding it together. We're united because Christ has done it all. Lord, I pray that this would, that you would help us to, to live by this, that this would define our, heart, our own hearts, our own families, that our lives and our church would be defined by the gospel, that we would come back to Jesus, that we are united in him. Lord, please lead us as a church. Please help us to think rightly about these things. If there are things that we are thinking wrongly, please correct us. But please, Lord, unite us in Christ. Draw us together, especially as we come to worship you. I pray that as we join together as one body and one voice, that you would lead us to Christ and that our worship would be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.